week on Thinking Inside the Box, we cause mass bankruptcy in Oddworld Munch's Odyssey. Hello, everybody. I'm Excalibur. And I'm your co-host, Soft Mike. All right. We have a, a great addition to our collection today. Oddworld Munch's Odyssey. Oh, yes. I was very much looking forward to playing this game. I actually did no research before jumping into it just to get the full experience. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, this is a very cool, uh, unique story without knowing what had happened prior. Tell us about the synopsis for the game. Yeah. Munch, the gabbit with auditude, and his sidekick Abe lead an offbeat revolution to save the world. With their sacred land in jeopardy of being destroyed by the greedy Gluckens, Munch and Abe team up to teach those rascals a lesson by using their chanting prowess to control the enemy, arming themselves with wacky weapons and acquiring power-ups for extra boosts. You can switch between Munch and Abe at any time to utilize each other's unique abilities and access certain areas. Now, Oddworld Munch's Odyssey was developed by Oddworld Inhabitants and published by Microsoft Game Studios. Also, uh, a small portion of the game, um, Infogrames, had something to do with it. They also appear in the opening sequence. This is a single-player, 480p, and Dolby 5.1 surround sound game. It is rated T for Teen for comic mischief and violence. It is an action platformer 3D. Released November 14th, 2001, on just the Xbox. It was an exclusive. Which, um, you have a little tidbit as to the reason why they switched from PlayStation to Xbox. I do. Um, so, from the creator, Lorne Lanning, they were asked why they moved from PlayStation to Xbox. And he had stated that the PlayStation is the past and the Xbox is the future. Oh, that's a burn. Yeah, very cool, very cool fact. But, uh, I mean, we're both Team Xbox, so the gotta winner. represent. That's right. All right, so going from there, we have information about our developer. So our developer is Oddworld Inhabitants Incorporated. They were formed in 1994 by special effects and computer animation veterans Sherry McKenna and Lorne Lanning. Oddworld Inhabitants is located in San Luis Obispo, California. The company dedicates itself exclusively to developing games set in the fictional Oddworld universe. After the release of Oddworld Stranger's Wrath, which is a 2005 game, Oddworld Inhabitants entered a hiatus, which consisted mostly of hints of another Oddworld game that never saw the light of day. Now, this sounds very similar to actually Valve. <laughs> but, no. Oh, yeah, because mm-hmm. Half-Life 3. Um, but on July 15, 2010, OWI, or Oddworld Inhabitants Incorporated, Return from its long absence with the announcement of an upcoming Oddworld-related titles across multiple platforms in collaboration with Just Add Water. That's another company. Another yep. developer, right? Based out of the UK, I believe? Yeah. Just Add Water Limited is their name. There's not much on them. Very basic information. Tell us about uh, the publisher. All right. The publisher is Microsoft Game Studios. Previously known as Microsoft Studios, Microsoft Game Studios and Microsoft Games is an American video game publisher and division of Microsoft based in Redmond, Washington. 
It was established in March of 2000, spun out from an internal games group for the development and publishing of video games for Microsoft Windows. It has since expanded to including games and other interactive entertainment for the namesake Xbox platforms, Xbox Mobile, and other mobile platforms, the web-based portals, and web-based portals. As the studio grew, it has acquired and relinquished ownership of several other studios, and it's the parent organization of 23 other studios. So, very large and quite a force to be reckoned with in the gaming sector. Definitely a strong developer and publisher of games. Especially coming from the creator of the Xbox. Yes, yes. That would be seen ultimately as like the unlimited power because EA doesn't have a corporation behind it, but Microsoft Game Studios has essentially at this moment a trillion dollar company backing them. What more could you want? Yeah, so I would con- I would consider Microsoft Game Studios to be a titan in the industry, honestly. Yeah, I would say that's a definite fact. Nothing that would uh, dispute that claim. Infogrames is mentioned as a publisher. They're they okay. like sort of like they work with Microsoft. Oddworld inhabitants Lord Lanning's original vision was to create a series of five video games called the Oddworld Quintology. Each game introduced a new hero that joins the existing band of revolutionaries on their journey to put an end to the exploitation of cultures, people, and the natural world by profiteering capitalists. Munch's Odyssey is the true second Quintology title. In 1998, after the release of Abe's Exodus, work started on Oddworld Munch's Odyssey in earnest. The gameplay moved from a 2D uh, game to a 3D game, and the platform from PlayStation 2 to Xbox. The publisher from GT Interactive was taken over by Infogrames, and to microsoft so gt interactive was taken over by infogrames and then it was switched from infogrames to microsoft microsoft wanted to market the game to casual game players and proposed that the game be called abe and munch's fun adventures but obviously that didn't go all right so they were first supposed to start off developing a five game series it just didn't happen right they had only gotten Two games plus the bonus. Well, actually, no, because the 2005 game came out. Okay, so another description for the game would be Munch is a lonely gabbit, a gentle frog-like creature who communicates with other members of its species through echolocation. Echolocation, aha. Munch searches in vain for others of his kind. His entire race has been exterminated since the gabbit eggs, gabiar, is a delicacy. And their lungs have been used by the chain-smoking, powerful gluckens to replace their own. The last of the gabbits is captured by two Vikers, owners of Vikers Labs, where they conduct experiments on living creatures. The two implant a sonar device in Munch's head, concocting a plan to enslave him and use him to trap other animals. However, Munch discovers that the implant has given them new powers. Using those, he begins to free the vicious Fuzzles, whom the Vikers have been using in their laboratories. Hoping to escape himself and help other creatures who suffer under the yoke of the Gluckens. Munch's Odyssey is set in the fictional Oddworld universe. Its events take place after those of Abe's Exodus. The player controls Munch as well as Abe, the hero of the previous Oddworld games. Abe's abilities haven't changed much since the last installment. As before, GameSpeak must be used to communicate with other creatures, leading them to safety. His fellow Mudakins can now be ordered to attack enemies. Abe can also grab and toss Mudakins or Munch to lead them to the area they cannot access otherwise. Possessing enemies also comes into play, and is needed to solve many of the puzzles. 
Possession abilities can now be used to ignite quarrels between enemies and make them fight each other. The player can change between Abe and Munch instantly throughout most of the game. Munch brings to the table new abilities of his own. He can use his sonar to control or immobilize specific creatures, as well as swim. Another new addition is the possibility to use vending machines, which sell various items that enhance the abilities of the protagonists. At certain points, Abe and Munch can also remote control mechanical creatures. So there's plenty of things that you can do in this game while you go through it. Definitely a plethora of uh, features. Um, something I like to see. They had a lot of things thrown into it to make it an interesting concept. Yeah, definitely um, gave you a lot to do, and it kind of kept you coming back. There's a charm to it, really, which I can understand. I've heard a lot of secondhand reviews from real people saying this game is like a childhood euphoric memory. This is something that they loved this game. This is something they really wanted to see be put out there because I've never heard of this series at all. And now that I've played it, it's honestly a, a great game. So Yeah, I, um, I've known of this series for a very long time. I remember when I was uh, a young kid seeing the Munch's Odyssey can, I was very confused and I didn't know what I was looking at. Would you like to uh, tell us about the awards this game won? This game is, um, I believe, our first game that we've reviewed yet to include awards, or to have won awards. Um, So, in 2002, it received Best Xbox Dexterity Game of the Year by the Reader's Vote. Number 3, Best Xbox Game of the Year, Outstanding Achievement in Animation, and Best Computer Generated Images. Pretty big. The one thing I did note after briefly playing this game is that it was very noticeable that the people that had created this game were very talented in graphical design, art, and animation. The cutscenes looked phenomenal. The the menu looked phenomenal. And, you know, just the overall design of the game was really good. And I, I honestly want to say even ahead of its time. Yeah, that design that they had gone with having sort of a... It's a very cartoony game. The whole universe is cartoony. But... It's sort of a play, more or less, on real-life industrial, like, industrializing over nature. There's a lot of a lot of themes yeah. that apply with that, but implementing all those games. I, I yeah. kind of saw, <laughs> I, I kind of saw a narrative of, like, evil capitalism run awry. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like a perfect way to explain how this game handles the story. And with the gameplay elements, I think there's a lot of elements that have been put put in it. It almost reminds me of like a a little bit it has like RTS style genre stuff in it. Yeah, a little bit of it. Uh, I kind of did notice an RTS kind of uh, vibe from this game as well. Uh, in certain areas, you know, you kind of had to plan out what you were going to do. You had to attack certain things, and it became strategic in certain areas. It wasn't just, you know, do this, you know, pull this lever and go activate this thing and all that stuff. It was definitely a game that made you think, you know, showed you the right way to do things uh, silently. It was very well put together. All right. Well, I'd say I think it's time for our first segment. Time for the X-Ray, where we dive into the main features and in-depth gameplay. 
Let's dive into the menu. Or did you want to show uh, the intro? Yeah. All right, so as you start up the game, you get greeted to the companies that had a part in this game. First and foremost, you had Oddworld Inhabitants, Microsoft Studios in Infogrames, and then it opens up to a really beautiful animation of basically the opening of the game, like how it starts in a very quick way. Then after that, you get to the main menu, well, you have tons of options, really. You can select new game, load game, quit to dashboard, which I think that's the first time I've seen a game integrate that ability. Oh, I did, yeah, I never knew. I never so saw far. the other. Yeah, that's the first time as well. Yeah, the ability to like actively quit out of the game to the dashboard and not, you know, like every other console before it just be stuck in the game once you're in it. This game gave you the ability to go back to the dashboard as if there was something to do on the dashboard. <laughs> Which, you know, anyone who knows the original Xbox dashboard knows there's really nothing to do on the dashboard. Yeah. So, going from there, you can go to another cool option, which is a first of its kind, is GameSpeak. And from there, you have both Abe and Munch, their heads peeking through little holes in the screen, looking straight at you. And you can basically choose between Abe and Munch to go through all of their voice actions. It's really neat. It shows it shows you different ways you can press each button that uses their unique ability to communicate with other characters in the game. And another thing I thought was cool is they did a dual use of the buttons too. It was also based off of how long you held the button or how you pressed it. Whereas if you wanted your followers to do something for you where they would end up standing on a space and chanting to open a door or going and then pulling a lever to to do something you could just tap the b button and you could tell them time to get to work or put a little bit of elbow grease you could help me out he had a couple of different lines that he would say at random whenever you pressed each of the buttons which was also cool too a lot of just a lot of effort a lot of work and a lot of different elements that go into the smallest of details the same thing for the b button if you held it down he would tell his followers to attack nearby enemies and one one cool thing is that if you had anyone around you any of the other mudakins uh or the different versions of them which would be either the scrubs the tomahawkers or the mud archers mud archers yeah um you could tell them to attack and if there were no enemies in the area or within their their sight they would kind of snap back at you do what there's nothing to do you know or or whatever it was it was really cool that they would actually know that nothing was around or within their their peripheral and then uh another thing that was neat was with abe you could press x hold it down to fart and it would cause anyone around you that was a friendly to interact with that. They would chuckle or laugh in some way. Alternatively, you could press or tap the X button and you would tell your followers to wait where they were. So that way you didn't have any issues where you had to bring them to a certain spot and then go find more or go do something else and run the risk of them dying while following you around. You could also greet one at a time by tapping the Y button. Or you could greet all of them, which would basically be a call to follow you um, either way. And the way that you greeted everybody was by holding down the Y button versus tapping it just to greet one person. Very intuitive controls. Uh, I mean, 
really intuitive controls. They definitely utilized the whole controller and made it convenient too. I mean, you kind of had a little bit of a learning curve. There were times playing the game that I would get confused here and there and press the wrong button, but it didn't like mess up my game. Uh, it was kind of like, you know, a free experiment. You know, oh, if you press the wrong button, no big deal. Just remember where the right one is to press and press it or press it in the right form and you're good, you know. So I, I really enjoyed that. Next thing is your options menu. I thought it was kind of strange that they gave you the ability to choose the game speak in the options menu, but they also gave you the game speak option, which is the exact same menu uh, just before going into options. But from there, you could select controls, you could view the game credits, you could configure your game, which didn't give you too much to do. It would change the sound profile for headphones, you could turn vibration on or off, you could change the volume of the sounds, change the volume of the music, and that was it. I, I kind of wish they had the ability to adjust your brightness. That would have been a handy feature because I did notice playing this game, the, the game's blacks or just whole color palette and shading engine was very dark oriented. There were times where I would get lost or disoriented while trying to perform a task or to get to a certain location. Um, and especially in like a very dark and shadowed area, it was very hard to see especially the brewery. We, we were in a, a level later on in the game. It was the brewery, and we, we definitely had trouble traversing the path. And it was it was kind of a tight area, too. But, you know, once again, the shadows that were over the path that we were to take, there were pitfalls in the path, and we couldn't differentiate when we first started that level what was, you know, a place where you would just fall through where there was no path and what was a shadow. So it would have been great to have been able to adjust the brightness. But... It didn't really hamper the experience too much. And then from the configuration menu, you can go to movies, which is pretty awesome that they added this because it gives you the ability to figure out what's going on in this game. Helps you understand why this game is here, who Abe is, and what he's doing, and why him and Munch teaming up makes so much sense. So you get to you get to choose a cutscene called Backstory Chapter 1 through 4, which gives you a rundown of the backstory of the game from Abe's Odyssey all the way to Abe's Exodus, pretty much landing you here. That's it for the menu, for the most part. Yeah, I uh, think that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. Now, jumping into the game's a whole other story. Call it a game changer, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you talk about jumping into the game, sir? All right, so when you first jump in the game, you're greeted with a cutscene of, well, first you're told, do you want to watch the background videos? If you didn't already watch some of the options, this would be the perfect time to kind of catch up on the backstory. Moving after that, you then are greeted to the actual first cutscene of the game, showing Munch and how he sort of gets uh, separated as there's more or more of his species being taken away by nets and he ends up getting lonely and when he goes to use his echolocation he hears a response back for the first time in a long while and he gets excited he goes on land to find the sound which ends up being a booby trap and he gets captured by the vikers the, Vi the vikers yep. yep the vikers and the vikers take him aboard their mothership 
which is a Vikers laboratory. And that's sort of where you're left off. You don't know what exactly is happening to him yet. But then it switches over to Abe. Abe is listening to Raisin, who is like the master of the Mudakins. And Raisin's telling him, Abe, that he has to go rescue Munch. And the only way to do that is to traverse to the big well that's outside of Raisin's cave. That's sort of how the story jumps into it. It's very charming, the cutscenes. It's very funny, cartoony. It's very enjoyable to watch, in my opinion. From the first level, you're, as always, brought into tutorial mode, where you're shown kind of how the game works. You're introduced to the character called the Shaman, who is sort of like this helper, Mudokin, who appears in every level to kind of give you hints on where to go and what to do in that level. And then you have these signs that are placed around the level that also give you buttons to like push to get past a specific part in the level. Um, you're introduced to the magical substance, Boost Shrubs, which are these uh, regrowable sort of just like shrubs. Yeah, they look like mushrooms almost. They're kind of neat. They're a real collectathon and a very useful item in the game. So. Uh, you really, <laughs> you get hurt if you don't collect them. One thing I thought was cool was the little chant that you can have Abe do to regrow them. <laughs> it was hilarious the first time I activated it. Yeah, it was definitely, <laughs> it was definitely a, a fun first time learning how to do the chant um, to regrow the spoosh shrubs. One of the things I think you learn right off the first level is how to jump around and collect these spoosh shrubs and that you need them to unlock these areas called spoosh locks and spoosh locks are these little terminals that tell you how many spoosh shrubs you need to have collected in order to open the lock and once you have enough pushing a in front of the terminal deducts the amount required from your currently collected spoosh that you have in your inventory now, this inventory doesn't carry from level to level. This is just a, every time you start over, you're starting back at zero. So, it's a pretty simple first kind of step into the game. And then you're kind of thrown into, like, the big part of the world. Your first real level, which is called the Spoosh Shrub Forest. And this is where you get to learn how to interact with minions and other Mudokins. So, you go throughout the Spoosh Shrub Forest, when you add members to your group of other Mudokins, you can tell them to open up doors, which help you advance through the level. And this is sort of just a very sort of step-by-step procedure that is actually done in every level, that there's always, it's sort of, a, it's a linear process of going to each step is, there's really no sort of like free roam to it. It's a defined set path. Yeah, it's super linear. So you're introduced to things like chant circles, the travel wells, which were pretty fun. You just jump in these wells and it shoots you like a cannon to a predefined area where that well is aimed at. You're introduced to landmines, which are very deadly. Um, you can, I think, take two of those before dying. Um, yeah. So avoid those at all costs. Uh, you're introduced to a thing called the resurrection totem, which if you ever lose any Budokans, uh, anytime one dies, you can resurrect them by using spoofs to bring them back. But 
I know that it's a it's a note. There's a thing called Quarma in the game, which we'll talk about in the next level. Uh, if you lose any of your Mudokens, it does count toward your Quarma. But moving forward past that, you introduce your first enemies, which are the Slig Slackers. The Sligs are a security force that protect the, their Glucon employers' interests. It's a lowest-ranking Slig. Slig Slackers are like local rent-a-cops. They carry no weapons, but they're the least dangerous of uh, the Sligs, but they can slap you around. <laughs> yes. uh, and you order uh, your Mudokens to actually fight them for you, if you'd like, at the risk of losing them, of course. But it's very uh, it's very entertaining to actually send your minions to attack. Something that's not very much... It's not seen a lot in very many games, especially nowadays. Oh. And then you have our, our best friend, the Slogs. Which are sort of like a kind of a play on dogs. Slogs are the slig's best friends and are always off leash. These vicious critters are fast and mean. <laughs> Stay away from them unless you have enough mudicons to outnumber them. If you can count their teeth, you're too close. So that's pretty much all the enemies in the spoof shrub forest. The other few things that are introduced in that level are the information terminals, which, uh, as I explained, give you sort of like a pretext of what you have to do in certain things. Then you get introduced to the vendor machines. There's a bounce window and espresso windows, which you have to use to escape the slogs at the end of the spoosh shrub force to get to the big well. So that's pretty much it for Abe's introduction. Then you get to experience Munch's side, which Munch is captured by the Vikers and gets surgically installed a zapping device on his head, which, kind of as a backfire to the Vikers, works against them very badly. Yeah, but it's also a sonar device that they intended to use to have him attract other animals to be able to capture those animals and use them in their recipes to make these addictive yes. products. That was, uh, I remember that was being explained in the cutscene. Um... So you're introduced to a group of friendly creatures called the Fuzzles, which are these small furry balls that the Vikers have been experimenting like hair product with. It was hilarious <laughs> discovering those for the first time because they're like these cute little furry balls that have just the cutest little sound that they make. And then as soon as they see something that they don't like, like a, an enemy of yours or one that you sick them on, they just they start to growl like a dog. And before you know it, they're swarming around the enemy and just destroying them. Oh, man, them. it's bad. They they straight up, it's like a herd ripping apart the enemy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Fuzzles' description here is, Like Munch, the Fuzzles are victims of the Vikers' twisted experiments. These cuddly, furry, and toothy creatures help you in your quest. You can command them to follow, wait, or attack, similar to Abe's Mutacom buddies. Their sharp teeth and sheer numbers, fuzzles can be deadly. Fuzzles are also fragile. Use caution when commanding them to attack. If any of them pass away, they cannot be revived. The number of fuzzles you free directly affects your quorma, so use them wisely. Quorma is the game's sort of, yeah, as it's making fun of karma level, you have a good karma, bad karma. And the more fuzzles you rescue and mudokens and the uh, later in the game, their eggs, labor eggs, the higher your quorma rating goes. And if you get a certain rating, that affects the game ending. There's also bad karma, and there's a neutral one as well. So back to the fuzzle testing level. 
Uh, you're introduced to the fuzzles. They're fuzzle cages, which you have to zap in order to release them. You're introduced to the enemy, the Viker intern. The interns do the Viker's dirty work for them. They are the lowest of the low. They don't carry any weapons, and they slap you around the first chance they get. They cause a lot of trouble at the end, but <laughs> dispose of them however possible. You're also introduced to levers, which is a, another activatable thing to do. And then you're introduced to rescue portals, which is how you rescue the fuzzles. At the end of the level, you're a bird portal. You activate it by pressing A, and any nearby fuzzles will leap through. The more fuzzles that leap through, it increases your karma, and you get a spoof bonus. You'll also notice that in the level, there's a thing called the Employee Status Boards, which show you a live feed of the current level enemies and friendlies that are currently active in the level, and including how many enemies you've retired, as they put it. Yes. And then if, if you've rescued any of your fuzzles, that tells you how many have escaped. So that's a pretty cool thing. The Zap Bendos are also the primary way of getting out of this level where zapping the Viker interns over and over and over again. It's a little tedious, as it takes a lot of zaps to kill them, but... Yeah, they've got a lot of Yeah, those. and especially at the end, where you have to take on four interns. Yeah, that was kind of a mm-hmm. pain in the butt. Like, I just remember I just got completely surrounded. There was nothing I could do. <laughs> no. As you can see, there's a very uh, slow way of introducing each kind of step in the game. It's kind of cool, though, how they did it, because if you think about it, it's a full tutorial on how to use each character independently. Yes, and how each character has its strengths and weaknesses, which this right. whole yeah, level each... was all Munch on land, not even in the water yet, which is where Munch is really strong. Yeah, Munch's strength is the water, and you know he's severely... Uh, held back on land he's very slow and can't really jump you know he, he might he might lunge forward but it actually sets you back more than it helps you to jump with munch on land whereas with abe abe is very fast and very nimble on land but cannot swim in water it actually kills him so it definitely shows you a, a very sharp contrast between the two of them that you will have to in every level you're going to have to utilize each one's strengths individually to be able to succeed and i think they did a great job of that because you know there's other games where you've had to like do similar things but it was easy for you to cheat your way through with just one character and play the lazy way whereas with this game it's just not possible you have to use both characters in order to get to the end of the level or complete your task yeah this game as every level is with it being different, the design is always, there's always some cool kind of theme to it. And you just sort of have to figure out how to, as a, it's like a puzzle. How do I get from the start to the finish most efficiently? It's usually always done by a very progressive step-by-step basis where you might be introduced to a new feature in the game. Such as about halfway through the game, you're introduced to uh, the, the Gluckens. You have to possess one at the end of every level to make them donate to Lulu, <laughs> who is a another Gluckin. Now, the Gluckins have different um, levels, and uh, Lulu is known <laughs> as a, uh, a pud. Yeah. And basically, the way that the story evolves is that Raisin tells you, in order to undermine the whole empire that the Gluckins have built that's industrializing their world and destroying it, essentially, you need to possess the minds of the Gluckins that own the different factories and industries that are ultimately destroying your world 
you need to possess them to <laughs> a very funny way deposit all of their money into these vending machines called the Lulu Fund that just happened to be in every one of their offices. Yeah, no one else's fun but and, Lulu's. I've always thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> right. It, it was just so obvious and so glaring like a cartoon that, you know, that, that would just be some random vending machine for some Lulu that obviously everybody laughs at and makes fun of who is on the lowest level of the Gluckin society. You know, he's got a, he's got a fund and you can donate to it if you choose to. Well, they're going to, because Abe is going to possess their minds and make them give all their money away to him. But ultimately the, the way that it works is, um, you have to possess the minds of each of the Gluckins that own any of the industries that are polluting the world and destroying it and cause them to go bankrupt so that their business goes under and your people can essentially take back over the land that has been taken from them for the industry. It's a very comical way that it's done too. They have a they have a sound for everything in this game. Everything has a, its own unique thing that makes it all the more experience. Everything that you get to play as has a different sound to its walk. Uh, different sound to its communication, different things that it can do. It's just incredible, the detail. And I'm a stickler for detail. You. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a lot There's a lot to this game. There's so much to convey. Yeah. I mean, really, this game, as I said, every level, there's 25 levels, you know, and each level with its unique challenges Every so often, there's a new like obstacle or new way of uh, having to think that in previous levels didn't exist. Or if there's a new creature, you know, you, you might have to face an enemy that's now has body armor or things like that. Right. There's a lot of time spent making this game. Anything from the Sligs all the way up to the Gluckins, they each have a personality. There's funny voice lines being said from all the characters. Even the Sligs, when you go to face them, they're making fun of you. <laughs> yeah, they talk a lot of trash. Oh, yeah. And when you when you get them following you and they can see you and know you're there, but they can't attack you because they can't get to you, they'll call you like Pooh Brain and Chump. <laughs> yeah, they do a very good job of making that... Like this game is just perfect in level design and enemy mixture. And honestly, not to compare it to this said game, but it just gave me vibes of the nostalgia factor. Uh, it kind of gave me some Spyro vibes. I can see that. It's definitely got elements. You know, whereas you grab the Spooge, um, it's the same thing with the gems. Uh, Spooge is currency in the game. Gems were currency. In yeah, Spyro. and it's like uh, every time you had to buy something, it was like you're giving your money to money bags. Right, whereas in this case, you're using your spooge to upgrade your uh, scrubs to tomahawkers or to the... Mud archers. <laughs> I always forget what they are. You upgrade them to the mud archers, or you can bring them back to life from if when they die. Um, you can also use your spooge to open up doors... You know, there's there's different things that you can use it for, and it, it really does help you progress in the game, kind of like Spyro, when you had to spend your gems to gain access to the next portion of a level or something like that. So 
So I, I kind of see that at least as a first kind of look at where these two are comparable. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to mention? We can continue on to like the different levels of characters there are. Like for the, the Gluckins, you've got the Pud, which is the bottom, which would be what Lulu is. And your goal is to make him a Glucken Glockstar. Uh, so he would have to surpass the Glucken Chump, Wannabe, and Big Cheese to become the Glockstar. And essentially, with that, you know, all the other Gluckens um, that own various industries that you have to overturn will be taken over by Lulu. And for some reason, Lulu is your only hope. And, you know, you, you're also introduced to not only different types of enemies, but they also have classes, basically, which they're armored or carry weapons. Like the sligs, you know, just a regular slig that smacks you around. Then you've got the slig bouncer that hits you with a stick. And you've got the slig popper, which shoots you. And then not only that, you've got the armored bouncer and the armored popper, which are sligs with just a body armor with a lot more health that are really annoying to have to take care of. Even with, like, a group of tomahawkers, they're kind of tough to take down. And I would say even with the mud archers, they're kind of hard to take down. Take quite a few hits. There's also these different elements of the game where you got to do completely different things, but it's utilizing almost the same thing. Where with the wildlife, you've got the scrabs. you got to run away from them and get them to chase you into this area where you quickly run out and trap them. So that you clear the way for Munch in his wheelchair. Which we didn't even talk about that. Munch has a wheelchair which makes him able to actually traverse on land much faster, if not as fast, as Abe. And give him the ability to jump without it hindering him like it does to hinder him yeah. when he's just on foot. And the uh, very squeaky wheel. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, very squeaky as it goes and his animation's hilarious. He, he moves his arms so fast to go down the path that he does with his wheelchair. It's hilarious. And then very early on, you know, you've got the, the Paramites. It's like a it's like you described it as a, a hand slash bicep that just it's got like grasshopper like legs to it. And it's a it's a pretty scary creature. It sounds just like a pig. It's basically uh some creature that they took the sounds that pigs make and put them on them, which is hilarious. Uh, and it's, it's also fitting. Like, they almost didn't seem to have modified the sound at all. It's just like, this is what pigs sound like. We're going to use the sound of pigs as the sound of this alien creature. And it worked. And then you've got the Meeps, which is a really freaky adaptation of a sheep. It's just a one-footed, three-toed, one-eyed sheep that it sounds like a sheep in a way but the, the sound of a sheep has been modified a little bit to sound a little bit more unique to it and alien apart from the paramites you just have to run away from them and the scrabs that you gotta get to chase you into this area where you can run out of it quick when they are all in there and essentially lock them away and get them out of the way you have the meeps where you couldn't do anything with abe but you had to use munch in his wheelchair to herd the meeps into their their pen which would essentially give the mudox in that area enough courage or an ego boost to make them feel like they were able to do something because they couldn't herd their own sheep kind of a, a fun way that they did everything is it's all tied to their um oh what's a word for that what the 
like when someone's insecure, yeah. self-confidence. Yeah, it's like everything ties to their self-confidence. You know, if, if they're not able to do something, they just give up and like meditate floating in the air with their legs crossed, you know, and what you got to do is do what they couldn't in order to restore their faith in themselves and get their confidence up so that they follow you and actually do what you need them to do to get through the level. But of course, once you finish those tasks, obviously they're going to go and do whatever you need them to do. And you're directed the entire time by the shaman, which comically, while he's speaking, you can exit out of having to listen to him and he'll like he'll give you a little quip like fine be that way and then he'll just go away you know or something like that and when you do choose to cancel his advice abe will say something or i think munch even says something that's kind of sarcastic like oh you always say that or whatever or something like that and he's just like oh fine then i'll just i'll leave you you know be on your own then and just goes away it's really cool the interactions with the characters it really does a good job of taking you away from reality and putting you into this world. The the execution's phenomenal. So yeah, you can go on and on and on and on about this game because there's just so much to absorb. There's a lot here. It's very well thought out. It's very well put together. I, I can't stop saying it because it's the truth. This game offers you everything that a game should offer you, and then it offers you even more. I, I do see myself, even though I didn't finish this game, in my playthrough, I, I do see myself finishing this game at some point. Oh, I yeah, am, for sure. Just because of the sheer amount of things that you're able to do. You know, it just keeps me coming back. I enjoyed it enough without even hesitation. Just go back to it and play it. It didn't feel labored. It's it's one that I would, I would say for sure pick up if you don't have it. Or if you have modded hardware, play it. By all means, you'll definitely enjoy your time. All right. I think we're ready for our next right. segment. Get ready for X Marks the Spot. The comprehensive look at game secrets and Easter eggs. You can take it away with this one, All right. uh, Soft Mike. Well, for this game, the only notable thing is that Sobe had a pretty big little entry here. Uh, Sobe drinks. For uh, later levels, refill your health, you had to drink Sobe health drinks out of the vending machine. That restored the player's uh, health. Yeah. So it was kind of a little fun. I remember <laughs> when I first saw that machine, I was like, oh, wait, am I seeing this right? <laughs> Product placement? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. So uh, that's a little, a little fun little tidbit. For unlockables, this game really has just different endings based on the Quarma level you finish the game at. So, Quarma, what did it mean to you? If you thought that simply surviving and finding the exit of each level was sufficient, think again. Being a hero of Oddworld carries great responsibility. True heroes go above and beyond the call of duty. What is Quarma? Which we've already established, it is your karma that you receive based on whether you rescue Puzzles are Mudokan, uh, the Mudokan Scrubs and the Egg Crates at the toward the end of the game. So the more you rescue, the higher your Quarma goes. And if you kill or don't rescue them, the lower your Quarma goes. There are a few ways to beat the game with certain levels of Quarma. To check your Quarma, by the way, when you press pause in the middle of the level, you will have the option to check the Quarma, which also tells you how many of a certain 
rescues that you have to do in order to win the level. If you get a bad Parma, there's an icon that shows up telling you uh, that you're bad with like a red sort of a munch, yes. kind of angry face. Got like a crooked halo around his head. And then you have the angelic Parma, which has a happy gabbit with a sort of halo, a uh, round halo with a spiky unicorn uh, kind of flash to it. That tells you that you've done the requirements for a good or angelic Korma. So here are the endings for the game. So the Korma matters because if you get a happy ending, angelic Korma is earned with a perfect or very near perfect rescue percentage. In addition to having rescued all the scrubs and fuzzles, you must not leave any natives for dead in the levels. Spend the time to resurrect any fallen comrades. As a reward, you get an extra newspaper scene at the end of the game. The good Korma is what you get if you're pretty good about saving fuzzles and scrubs. Even if you left a few behind or killed some off, a good Korma rating is within reach. The reward for having good Korma is the unlocking of the last two levels of the game. Labor Egg Storage and Viker Suites are only available if your total Korma is good or better. You also get to see a happy ending. If your total Korma is bad, to get a bad Korma rating, you really have to try. Even if you save very few scrubs and fuzzles, you still may not get bad Korma. To receive bad Korma, you may have to kill a bunch of scrubs, natives, and fuzzles throughout the levels. Overall, bad Korma ends the game after the loading dock level, and you're punished with a very scary ending. Having bad Korma throughout the game changes a couple of the newspaper headlines that you see between the levels. This is determined by your Korma for that level, and not your total Korma. Killing all the scrubs and fuzzles in a brewery-to-be in Splinter's manufacturing gets you the alternate newspaper headlines. The last ending is called the Black Horma. The Black Horma is where you kill all of your buddies and uh, all of the fuzzles and anything you can find, and then you'll get what you deserve. In addition to the bad ending movie, you also get an extra newspaper extolling how lame you really are. So that's really it for this game. There's nothing else special or secret or hidden uh, in the game. Yeah, I, I love those facts about the game and how well you, you play the game in terms of how many the survivors or different uh, things that you need to rescue or can rescue. How well you utilize that feature of the game determines the outcome. Or, you know, progressively as you go through the game, changes it as you go. That's so cool. Being able to see, you know, how your play style actually affects the game that you're playing as you go. That's another thing I think is revolutionary. And it just is another testament to how well this game is put together. And I think it's something to appreciate. So yeah, this game just it just gives you so much All right. time for yeah. our next segment. Oh my god, he on X Games mode. Are you ready? Here is the X Games mode. Our personal tales of triumph, adrenaline pumping gameplay, and sweat inducing rampages. Alright, do you have any moments you uh, can share that would be worth yeah, it? Yeah, so uh, I do. This game actually did have its moments of stressful times. Uh, like, for instance, when I was in Paramite Run. So, uh -huh. Paramite Run is a very simple level where 
you essentially just have to drink an espresso vendo with Abe and then run all the way from start to finish collecting spoosh shrubs in order to collect 99 total to unlock the ending gate. Uh, however, you're being chased by these paramites the entire time. So the paramites yes. are very fast. And there's landmines along the way, which make it very uh, <laughs> dangerous because I don't know how many times a paramite hit a landmine and then I blew up. But I remember I got all the way to the, the, the ending of the level. And when I did that, I only had about 78 of spoosh, uh, the spoosh shrubs in my collection. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go ahead and go back and use uh, a munch to get in his wheelchair and then take his course through the valley. Well, I decided to, as I decided to do that, I started going through and lo and behold, a landmine completely knocked me off my wheelchair from uh, one of the uh, paramites hitting it. So I'm on the ground and I'm getting surrounded by like 15 paramites all biting at Munch. I get killed. So then as Abe, oh. I'm back at the end. I had barely made it through with Abe with, I think I actually got hit by one landmine. So I had to run all the way back because the egg respawn for getting your other character back, that's an egg nest, to get your character back it was all the way at the beginning. So I had to run back through the entire course, avoiding landmines. However, unfortunately, as as it had, had to happen, I got hit by one landmine halfway back. Which killed me and I had to restart the whole level all over again. Oh. And I'd spent 15 minutes probably on this level. Like, it was a crazy experience. But th this is just one of the many moments when being chased by enemy creatures, it was just full on action packed. You had to really kind of sit there and rethink how you were going to do the level the next time around. So that was sort of my X Games mode. How about you, Excalibur? All right, my X Games mode was similar to that. Part of it was that run, and I, <laughs> I kind of hate to say it, but I, I've played games that were very linear like this before, so I kind of had an idea that all these schwoobs, or however you pronounce it, that you needed to pick up were probably necessary. So what I did was, as I out of the gate grabbed the espresso. And I jumped over the, the opening there at the beginning and went for it. I picked up every one of them that I could find. I had those stupid things, those, uh, yep. what are they called? Paramites? Yeah, <laughs> those paramites chasing me nonstop through the entire level. I was zigzagging it back and forth and giving it my all to like stay in front of them and not get chomped on. When it, you know, Whenever you take a quick turn, you're getting chomped at least once. And I had a whole swarm of them behind me. I mean, it was it was surreal. Uh, but I did manage to gather all of them up. I think when I finished the level, I had over 100, but I don't remember how many. And at that point, when I jumped over the fence, I was like, okay, well, they're, they're stuck at the fence. I'm good to go. I went ahead and I got Munch. And same thing. Bada bing, bada boom. I, I don't think I grabbed any spoobs with him. I just went straight for the exit. And... Tell you what, jumping over that that gate at oh, the end there was a sigh gosh, of yes. relief. I got stuck, I think, on that uh, like three <laughs> times. I kept hitting it, and it kept pushing me back. Oh yeah, because this jump is just enough to get over it, and no more than that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was definitely 
something when whenever you had to jump over something with Munch in his wheelchair. But uh, I got lucky there. I actually jumped in the first try and like went right over it. I was like, I even thought to myself, like, how did I make that? But I, I was, I didn't care. I was through it. Um, another X Games moment that I had was probably getting chased by the scrabs. Oh, that was that was, that was uh, bad for me as well. Because you know uh, the 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 paramites were one thing, but when you got to the scrabs, it was like, oh my god, what are these? They were a little bit more intimidating, I thought, just probably because of the red color and they're a little bit more ferocious sounding. And it was the same deal, you know. I, I was like, oh yeah, well maybe this is the same thing as the paramites. I just run through and I grab all the, <laughs> I grab all the schmoobs. And I'm good to go. Well, I accidentally did what I was supposed to do. Uh, I ended up running into this this little cove area with a whole swarm of them behind me. And then running back out. Because I was just exploring the area looking for all the spoops. So I made sure I had them all or had as many as I needed. So I make it a point to grab every one of them I can every level that I'm in. Well, it turns out that the gate closed behind me, trapping all of an entire swarm in there. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I did it again by accident, by going into the next area and locking the rest of them in, which at the end I was able to find where the end of the level was, and once again, you know, go, or, you know, switch back to uh, Munch and complete the level. Easy peasy. Uh, I was, <laughs> I was kind of surprised that I accidentally figured that level out, but it was intense. Let me tell you, zigging, zagging, and back and forth, and getting all those spoops while this even more deadly looking and ferocious sounding swarm of enemies that will basically shred me to pieces if I stop for one second. It's chasing me and basically on my tail the whole time. It was definitely one that was for the books. It made my heart pound, that's for sure. And then lastly, I think my third X Games moment was <laughs> I decided that I was going to be a daredevil. And when you're in the one factory that has a long bridge riddled with the bone powder kegs, big bro sligs, armored big bro sligs, you know, slig poppers, slig bouncers. There's just enemies everywhere stationed on pedestals waiting to take you out or blow you up by accidentally shooting a bomb, of course, because that's what they always end up doing while you tried to get past them to activate the door so you could possess the one Glucken that was behind the gate as he is at the end of every level when you finally make it to the factory. <laughs> uh, I think this one was the Glucken Big Cheese, if I'm not mistaken. And he's at the very end, and there's no enemies around you when you get there, thankfully. But I kind of had to go at it a couple different ways, and I figured out one way to do it without using any of the powers. I kind of have a hard time remembering to use the powers when I need to, and it, it is a little bit of a handicap, but I, I find my own ways to get around it. Yeah, whether or not those are very good ways of doing it is <laughs> left up to uh, question, but what I ended up doing was there was a little ramp that was right in front of the corner, and facing the bridge entrance is a big brother slig and you know, these things are gigantic in comparison to your character um and you, they, you're completely dwarfed by them I, it just took a couple tries but ultimately what i did was i ran as fast as i could around the big brother uh slig jumped over four different sets of landmines while getting shot at from both sides <laughs> uh, and 
running past the bone powder kegs that if they got shot, they would definitely explode with a big enough explosion to kill you. I finally got up the gusto to run as fast as I could right past the Big Brother Slig, jumped over the first set of landmines. Those exploded on the last try, and it set me back once, but I was able to recover. They were shooting at me still, all of them just going ham. I eventually jumped over the last set, and I remember getting to the very end and jumping over the, the last set of landmines and finally making it to the very end to where I could have the one Glucken donate all of his money to Lulu's fund. I tried that quite a few times. I spent, I spent some time stuck on that level, and it made me think. It really put me in the moment, and I, I, was, I was engulfed in this game. It definitely was one section that got my adrenaline pumping. The, the bridge was stressful. That's for sure was stressful. So I wasn't sure how to approach it, and there were a lot of enemies that were not only ready to tear me apart with the shooting at me, but they were also very high-powered, and they were also high-level. So, yeah, I can say getting past that bridge was my last X Games moment. It's a shame that I didn't get to experience the, the later levels, because I felt like uh, as the levels got progressively farther into the, the story, the higher the tension was. Yeah, definitely, because it was even like, you know, it wasn't even a secret. When you got later on into the levels, the, the Gluckens kind of caught on to what was happening, where you were causing a bunch of mischief before possessing the mind of a Glucken and making them donate all their money into the Lulu Fund. The shaman, at the beginning of the later levels... Every time that you made a Glucken donate all this money, it was, you know, you essentially started in the next zone to try and travel your way across the land to eventually get to the factory to uh, possess the next Glucken. And the shaman at the beginning of the levels would be like, be careful, the security is extremely beefed up, or such and such Glucken is really taking all the precautions he can by adding a whole bunch of explosives and enemies to keep you away from him, so be careful. You know, and it really did stay true to what the shaman was saying. Um, later on in the game, near the end is where I'm at right now. And I can say there are huge and overpowered enemies everywhere. Lots of doors and gates to go through. It gets very complex in the different things that you have to do to progress. And of course, there's a whole lot of explosives. Uh, lots and lots and lots of landmines. And lots and lots and lots of bone powder kegs. It gets pretty intense. Uh, I really enjoy the way that the difficulty increases uh, in the later stages. It doesn't let the game become stale. You know, it, it keeps you on your toes because even though every level is kind of the same in a way, very linear, lots of spoobs, you got to do most of the same things, the layout is so drastically changed by the, the difficulty. And the different things that you have to do, it adds complexity to each level and gives you an even greater challenge to overcome, which, you know, it, it introduces you to a lot of critical thinking. You know, you kind of have to strategically get through the levels. And I appreciate that. So, yeah, it, it made the X Games moments that much better. I think we're ready to go on to our next segment. Let's get X-rated, where we rank the game based on our evaluation of 10 core gaming elements. Okay, I'll start off this one. My review for Oddworld Munch's Odyssey. I, starting off with graphics, gave this game a 6. Overall, 
The graphics were pretty good. The environments and the levels were very muddy. The textures kind of all ran into one. The color palette was very bland. If it wasn't brown and like hints of green, it was kind of gray. Uh, overall, the textures just lacked. The models were great, but beyond that, what they were going for, they definitely executed well. It's just it, it could have looked a little better. Um, difficulty, I gave a 9. This game's difficulty, it fit. It definitely fit. It was very well executed. Straight off the bat, this game offered just enough challenge to, at times, hold you back, but give you the ability to change your playstyle and overcome your obstacles. It provided just that amount of challenge to keep it interesting and not become laborsome or be too easy and become boring. You couldn't get a too much better of a starting and only option for difficulty than this game. Definitely stands out that they knew how to balance the gameplay. Even as it increasingly got more difficult, like I stated before, it still maintained a, a steady level of difficulty that didn't increase it to where it just felt like you weren't going to be able to get past this next obstacle, this next level. AI, I gave an 8. AI was pretty on par, I think, with this game. Good at running you around and good at figuring out when you were in view, targeting, was intelligent, you know, it taunted you when it knew you were around. Pathfinding was excellent. Very accurate enemies. Uh, apart from the fact that sometimes they would run themselves into the recycler fans in the early stages of the game by accident, trying to chase you or something along those lines, which was hilarious, by the way. <laughs> it was definitely an enjoyable experience with the AI being able to cooperate with you and make the game that much more of a engulfing experience. Single player, I gave an 8. Going through this game, even if it is just a single player experience, it gives you plenty. Um, it keeps you occupied, it keeps you entertained, it keeps you focused. It really does a good job of bringing you into this world and giving you basically hours of enjoyment. Design, I gave a 7. The game's layout, um, the way it's put together, pretty decent. I, I don't think there's much that I would critique. There's a couple things they're, you know, they're they're lacking in as far as design goes. Where I mean, it's not too much to argue about, but it is something that's not perfect. Um, the menu. One thing I mentioned before is that I didn't understand why they included two of the same option just in separate menus, where it was more than just enough to have one option selectable in its own menu. And it didn't need to be selectable again in the next menu uh, from the next choice right above it. Then um, another thing I can probably point out is, as far as design goes, their detection when you go to move forward sometimes is a little clunky. It didn't always respond like it was supposed to, and it would cause you to either fall down and have to track, you know, backtrack to where you were to try again. Or it wasn't always the most responsive as far as where you were standing or while you were running when you were to jump to another platform or over a gap. So for that, it kind of hurt a little bit, but it's still above average for sure. Um, it kind of sets the bar for a lot of games. Controls, I give a 9. The controller was utilized very well. The only thing that kept it from hitting a 10 was probably the fact that the weapon button was clicking down 
the right thumbstick, which it's it's almost as bad as NASCAR Thunder's white button reverse, in my opinion. I know that the, every other button had a function, and they executed it very well, but they could have swapped one button function out to make the controller scheme a little better, because, uh, you know, checking your health is one thing, or how many swoops uh, that you have is one thing, because you can check them both at the same time when you pull in the right trigger. But if they would have swapped the right trigger out for the click down button and made something much more essential and useful for the game, like being able to use your weapon as the trigger button, dude, controls would have been a 10, knock it out of the park, perfect. But yeah, I mean, otherwise the controls were awesome. I would say innovative for the time. Features, I gave an eight. The game brought you a lot of stuff and laid it all out in front of you. You had anything at your fingertips. The main menu had a lot to offer, and then even the menu in the game. Like, when you press start in this game versus other games that we've played already, you might get two options. When you press start in this game, you get nine different options. Granted, three of them have to deal with saves, but you also get to check your karma while you're playing the game, which is also an intuitive and pretty cool feature. You know, this very much changes the way that the game plays out for you as you play through it, um, which is also another cool feature. Uh, you know, this is the, the levels that this game has are deep and really shows a lot of effort and a lot of polish. So, yeah, replayability, I also gave an 8. This game is definitely one that I'll be coming back to, if not to finish, but to also experience the alternate endings and also to experience the alternate cutscenes that come along with the different levels of Quarma that you can have. So, um, overall, I enjoyed the experience enough that this game actually earned a pretty solid place in my favorites list, and I'll definitely be revisiting it in the future. Soundtrack, eh, it got a four. It captured what they were going for. It fit the theme of the game very well. It puts you in the moment. It felt good, but it was very repetitive. It didn't change per level, and it was the same thing over and 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 over again. The only thing that did change really is when you were spotted by enemies or you had like a tense moment. There was a couple of different soundtracks that would play at any given time. But yeah, they carried the theme well, but it was just kind of repetitive, which really hurt it. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more creativity and diversity in the soundtrack, but uh yeah overall a four and i think that's the highest rated soundtrack that i've given yeah. yet so there's that <laughs> storyline i gave an eight it was very good it was also dark and had a lot of layers to it and it, it involves entire species of creatures um coming together to defeat a common enemy and beyond the common enemy is another enemy that the one faces on his own. So there you go. You know, you thought you peeled back the first layer of this game, and then you find, uh, you know, hidden underneath the surface of that next layer is another layer. It, this game just goes deeper and deeper, and it just keeps giving. I really enjoy the way the story was laid out. It continues very seamlessly from the past entries into this next one, and it really breathes a lot of life into the new character very well and boy the contrast between the two and their abilities 
and their environments that they they really thrive in versus the ones that they kind of are hampered with dealing with. It really works well and makes it a very involved and thrilling experience. Uh, introducing that critical thinking and the strategy that you have to employ to be able to get through this game definitely made it a unique experience. So with all that said, my final score is a 75. My highest score yet, which would give it the bare minimum requirement to grade a. Holy crap. That is a vastly different uh, outcome than mine, good sir. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. <laughs> not that that's a bad thing. That's not uh, a bad thing. I am very yeah. interested. So, uh, wait wait till I uh, show you guys what I have to lay it down here, okay? Okay. Oh, no. So, for my review of this game, just kind of putting it out there, I didn't think this game was a bad game at all. In fact, I think you guys will be more than willing to uh, be surprised what it ends up being on the final ranking compared to what I actually did uh, this. So, for oh, or right, graphics, right. I gave this game a 5 out of 10. I felt like uh, they had good graphics overall for the time, but it wasn't great. And the one thing that really, really brought it down was the, the darkness of some of the levels where it was impossible to see where you had to go as a player. That is a very huge uh, oversight, literally. And I think if that had been better, this game would have seen probably a 6. For difficulty, I gave this game a 4 out of 10. I felt like this game had a lot of ease to it. Not that that was a bad thing, but in looks a balance of difficulty. There is no alternating difficulty. Not that that matters, but for me, at, up until the point where I played to, I felt like the game was not that difficult overall. But I also think that also depends on how you played it. I had used a strategy guide to help me play through the game. Having to do it on my own, the difficulty might have gone <laughs> up, maybe. So I could see fluctuation. Maybe difficulty could have been up to maybe a 7. Uh, having to figure out some of the puzzles on your own without having external help. So AI, I gave this game a 4 out of 10. I felt like the AI was very uh, rudimentary. It sort of had basic personality levels. I mean, you really couldn't do much with what you had. The AIs either chased you or they were sent to guard a certain area. There wasn't really much they could do otherwise. The game obviously being very linear, the AI had a lot of scripted events and things like that. So uh, I don't think the, the full potential of AI might have been realized. But I do see a lot of the points that Excalibur had made in his review. So, single player experience. I gave this game a 7 out of 10. I felt like the game had a very enjoyable single player mode. It was full of fun. I looked forward every day coming home to play the game and get further. I just didn't allow myself extra time to get it done. But I know for a fact I will. That is guaranteed. I will promise you that I will finish this game. For me, that's how good the game was. It was worth going completely to the end to experience. Design. I gave this game an 8 out of 10. I felt like this game had a great design. Level design was unique and different. There were a couple levels that were identical in terms of look, but just had slight differences that you had to rethink just slightly in order to surpass the challenge that it presented. But I felt like everything just came together so well for this game. 
Controls. This game got a 7. I felt like the controls were very uh, well balanced. Uh, I had issues every now and then with uh, the game speak, where I would accidentally press a button that I didn't intend to, or I didn't hold a button down like I wanted to, and that caused me to have uh, just slight instant issues. Though they weren't game-breaking, there was just slight confusion issues. But that could also just come in time with playing the game longer. Features. I gave this game a 7. I feel like this game had a lot of good features in it. It isn't blasted with, with features, but it did give me a good sense of there was always more and more and more to be brought to the table. Through the story, through the levels, I was always being introduced to something that was brand new that had never been implemented in the game before. And for something that when you're almost halfway through the game, that it completely changes the game, that just speaks volumes into the fact that these developers were really sitting there creatively thinking how do how do we completely engage players even though they've played the game over uh over and over how do we continue to expand that experience and i think they did a great job here replayability i gave this game a five out of ten now that may seem like a low score but the only reason why i'm giving it a five is because i don't see the need to come back and play it again after you beat it maybe a couple times this is definitely a game you couldn't pick up and play it over and over and over and over and over again. However, it does represent that you could come back and get the other endings if you like. Or uh, this is a game I could see someone picking up maybe a year or two years down the road and uh, replaying it from front to back again with a new fresh perspective. Soundtrack. I also gave it a 4 out of 10. This also would be the highest ranking soundtrack I've rated so far. That says a lot or doesn't say much. The soundtrack for me, it was like, yeah, the same sort of kind of like a rock mode when it was very intense, but it was very brief and uh, it sort of had a charm that mixed well with the environment of the level you were playing, but it wasn't good enough where I would say it's engaging your emotions at all. Just because the music become tense, it didn't necessarily make me get tense. So for me, it was sort of underwhelming. Storyline, I gave this game a 6 out of 10. I felt like this game had a good story. Very fun to listen to, sort of. Just kind of experience it from front to back. There were some plot lines that didn't make too much sense. Like, why did we rescue Munch from a ship that he had to go back on in the end anyway? He could have just done that from the get-go. But, you know, besides the little plot holes here and there, not a big deal. Could just overlook that. But this game wasn't known for its story. It's known for more of the engaging, odd simplicity that it is. For it is odd world. You know, you're playing a game that is supposed to kind of off-put your expectancy. Uh, What would you think this game would be like? And it completely does exactly what it's intended to do. And that is throw out the idea that whatever you think this game is, it's not. So this game was a very good game, and it gets a final score of 57. A high NC. Whoa! Very low compared to your A. But just because it's a C does not mean it's a bad game. I mean, we gave Shrek a D, and it was the same, it's the same style of game. But this game did execute it way, way, way better. How dare yeah. you? I'm sure all the Oddworld fans are out there probably throwing their freaking phones or throwing their TVs across the street because I'm making that low score. But that does not mean it's a bad game. It's not a bad game at all. It's a very enjoyable. 
I would definitely like to see, especially the later. I'm excited to see where this series goes. So, yeah, yes, I am looking very forward to uh, seeing uh, the future of this series. That's uh, yeah, that's that's quite a different mm-hmm. outcome for sure. Another shocker, honestly. I thought we were going to rate this game very high. I, I guess you didn't get as far as I did. I was but, only three levels behind uh, you from my camera. Yeah. But, yeah, but it, I guess right around where you are, it really ramps up the difficulty. So, honestly, I think you missed out quite a bit on the experience, which could have maybe reflected in your scoring had you gotten yeah, yeah. where I was. But, I mean, yeah, it definitely... <laughs> hey, you know, there are games that I know for sure we're going to agree on, and this is definitely not one of them. <laughs> hey, I'm not saying I don't agree. I just pointed out, I think, more... Uh, I was a bit more nitpicky. Right, yeah. a little bit more critical, so, I guess. I said I thought this was a great game. So, for final scoring okay. now... So, yeah, yeah, where does I this put rank number in two. List? All right, so still um, NASCAR Heat 2002 being yep. your number one game then, huh? Okay, okay, that's fair. It's definitely a toss-up. I mean, it's kind of weird having to say it's a toss-up between this game and NASCAR Heat 2002. I mean, granted, that's where we are in our rankings because of what we've reviewed so far, but at the same time, when it comes to you know a game that actually has a story and a bunch of things to offer versus just you know an all-out racing game, yeah, it's definitely uh, <laughs> it's hard to pick between these two in the end, just because of how good these games are executed. So, okay, for me, I definitely you already know placed it number one spot. It's essentially better than all the games that we've played so far, hands down. Especially better than Air Force Delta Storm. I hate <laughs> that game. The bottom of my list. That's <laughs> <laughs> the bottom. bottom of the barrel, the y'all. My list. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't even be on the list. It doesn't. It doesn't Konami, matter. Konami, <laughs> step your game up. Yeah, well, they did after this one. I think they did for sure. But uh, yeah, it, it goes at number one, and followed by NASCAR Heat 2002 as well. Heck yeah, man! That's a that was a tight ranking. I thought about uh, putting it number one, but like I said, I don't think unless I played more of it, I would have put it higher. I understand. Um, you know, our rankings are not supposed to be biased. They're supposed to be 100% comprehensive and reflective of our opinion on the game, not swayed in any way. <laughs> so, yeah, an interesting ending to our review. You want to announce right. our next game? So, our next game is going to yeah. be Dark Summit. Very interesting. I read uh, a short synopsis on this one. We decided to choose this for episode 8. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to play this game because it actually has kind of a compelling story it sounds like from the short synopsis or overview that i read yeah um if anybody once again has any experience with this game or has any fond memories of it or if we missed anything uh write in and let us know we'd love to hear from you but with that as always we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed playing this game and uh, reviewing it for you that's all for this episode I'm Excalibur. And I'm Soft Mike. And we will see you in the next one. Hello, loyal listeners. Excalibur here. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a supporter by going to our Patreon and pledging a couple bucks. Not only does this grant you exclusive access to early episodes and other content only available to supporters, 
but you also get to know you're making a difference by helping keep the lights on so that we can keep providing excellent content for you. Also consider joining the OG Xbox modding community on Facebook, where you can find anything you may need or want from the most trustworthy and quality forward bunch of innovators keeping this amazing console alive to today. You can also become a part of the action by submitting a game for us to review via 5-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may listen. Also consider liking and sharing our social media. You can find us on Twitter via our Twitter handle, ThinkBox Podcast, or on Facebook at Thinking Inside the Box. You can also write into us via email at thinkinginsidetheboxpodcast at outlook.com. Until the next time, thank you for listening, thank you for your patronage, and we will see you in the next one.